Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ordering In. Today, I have the pleasure of joining me is Hillary Houghton. Um, she's the owner and founder of Social HQ, which is a social media agency. Hi, Hillary. How are you? Hey, Nicole. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Of course. So um, how about you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, a little bit about um, Social HQ? For sure. I am a Silicon Valley born millennial. So I grew up in the midst of entrepreneurship land and startup companies and tech companies. And when I left the Bay Area, I went to Arizona and there I got kickstarted into social media when I was at the University of Arizona. And I fell in love with the fact that it took the marketing expertise and everything that I was learning in business school, but also combined it with something that was more creative and that hadn't really been evolved into a career quite yet. So I decided that that was the route I wanted to take. I entered into the professional world. I worked both with nonprofits and in-house, and then I also worked at an agency uh, once I was at the agency, I was getting exposed to a wide variety of clients. I worked in automotive, I worked in CPG, in healthcare, in entertainment, and hospitality. Uh, and then I moved to Texas. My fiance got a job out here, and we hit the road out what, uh, out east from Arizona. <laughs> And it has just been a wild ride. So I launched Social HQ after a couple months of consulting and figuring out that I loved to be out on my own. And I loved the idea of building a social media agency that could actually compete with these larger agencies. There's a lot of innovation that happens on the creative side and on the brand side, but there's not a ton of innovation that happens with social media in those firms yeah. because they get caught up in the bureaucratics. They get caught up in the politics um, mm -hmm. and it's really hard to shift. So I loved the idea of building an organization that could come in as a partner for brands and help them see 360 what's around them, what trends are happening and how can they make the most of social today. No, I love that. So you offer coaching and management for social media, correct? We do, yes. Okay, so go, so coaching would just kind of be working with brands and kind of helping them figure out their social media strategies. Is that what that is? Yes, exactly. So coaching is the perfect place for somebody who is a small business or a small team of three, even solopreneurs who are trying to just maximize their time. We have a lot of people who are downloading $10 hashtag strategies and what time you should be posting on social and all of that. No offense. <laughs> it's garbage um, because it all depends on who you are, who your audience is and what they're looking for and how you can solve their problems. So we come in as a consultant and a coach to help people build more of that social media business acumen so that the time that they are spending on social media, they're seeing results. They're not just guessing. Yeah. No. So what do you think made you go from working a nine to five? How long were you working a regular just nine to five job for somebody else? Oh, I had been working since 2013. I mean, really, I've been working since 2012. Um, but that was retail. So I don't count that as social media experience. <laughs> um, I So I've been doing that for eight years. Oh, wow. Okay. And then just 
in 2019, you decided to do um, Social HQ? 2020, baby. January wow. 10th of 2020 was launched. What a year to start. <laughs> so how has this year treated your company kind of, you know, coming out in the, this year where, you know, so much has changed and the entire dynamic of how business work has changed? I'm not going to lie. I had a panic attack in March when everything shut down. So I actually, I was supposed to uh, go to South by Southwest, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with it, extremely popular convention. And, uh, you know, there's art, there's film, there's a ton of tech, healthcare, you name it, it's there. And last year I had gone with my agency and just absolutely fell in love with the buzz. It's an incredible space to be around. So now that I live in Austin, I had made arrangements to actually be at South by Southwest for my own company. And really, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I was going to hustle the floors. I was going to network the crap out of my company. Good for you. Uh, Thank you. I was like ready. And then three days before South by, it canceled. And I was You're like, yep, so no, sorry. I mean, I get it, especially now looking back. I mean, at the moment, I don't know how you felt. I was like, whoa, what is happening here? Oh, we were all, we were like, oh, okay, two weeks, we'll be back, no problem. And here well, we are in you know, we're back to normal. And then here we are months and months later, um, it kind of feels like we haven't moved. Exactly. So that was a little bit of a chaotic moment. And anytime, you know, when I started this company, it was a lot of promotion in the beginning. And it was a lot of promotion of a new brand. So I was newly getting introduced to what we were offering. We were much more focused on small businesses. I was trying to break free of the mold that I had been doing for a while, which is with the larger brands uh, and focus on more of the local brands. And then once that shift happened in March, it was the bigger brands, their budgets got cut so the agencies mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, they couldn't afford the agencies anymore. So our business model actually became a very attractive one for them because it wasn't nearly the investment as hiring a full service firm, but it was very specialized. It was extremely focused in. And so we ended up securing some clients that really, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Um, and they've been with us since and they've uh, allowed us to try new things and get creative in a year where you can't do pop-ups anymore. You're not driving people as often to in-store purchasing e-commerce in the way that social media interacts with it is completely different. So totally different. It's been a really crazy and chaotic year, but it's been extremely rewarding. So in your agency, do you work at all with influencers? Do you partner them with any of your brands? Absolutely. That's a huge part of what we do at Social HQ. Really? Okay. Yeah, we actually do, um, we'll do influencer drops, we'll do influencer collaborations. So we'll actually reach out to people and see if they want to do giveaways on behalf of our brands. And that's a really great way for us to get exposure while also giving influencers the chance to, you know, be a spokesperson on behalf of a brand, especially a lot of the younger or newer influencers that we see we run into. They do want to work with brands and they do want to have that presence. Um, So before we move into any type of monetary compensation, a trade deal is a really great way for brands who don't have a huge budget to still 
work with these influencers. And it's also a great way for influencers to start that relationship so that when budgets do open up, um, they're first in line because we love to build loyalty. Yeah, it's really great for, I remember when I was starting out um, just as a content creator, you know, before you start working with monetary partnerships, these trade deals are everything to just create kind of a partnership with the brand and create a connection that later on, you know, down the line, as you both grow, you can come back together and, you know, work again. Exactly. And it's a really, it's just such a good launch pad for anyone who is trying to get that exposure Um, because usually the brands will also share it on their page. So we always do share if we have influencers that are a part of a campaign or even if it's a little loosey-goosey, we'll Mm -hmm. share their content. That's nice. So I'm so curious. I'm totally aware of how kind of the influencer marketing works from the content creator's point of view. How does it work for the brand's perspective? You know, how do they find these influencers? How do you kind of wean out who's good enough to work with certain brands? Yes, that's a great question. We have the first thing that we do when a client wants to introduce an influencer campaign is we set out the strategy for why. What is it that you're looking for? What do you want this to accomplish? And what are the metrics and measurements of success? So for example, A client could say, we really want to break into the younger demographic. We want to talk to Gen Z because we have this new flavor that's coming out and it's specifically geared towards more of pop culture trends that Gen Z has been talking about. So we're going to measure success based on how many interactions we get with that influencer, or we're going to measure it by how many views on the landing page that that influencer is supposed to send. So what that will do is it helps us get a little bit more of a framework. Some folks and some influencers have high reach and high volume. Um, So if they're just looking for as much awareness as possible within their audience, we'll either go one of two ways. We'll either go the mega influencer route, which those are going to be your influencers that have, you know, 500 thousand plus followers, but they're not as niche. So that depends on the availability of the product. If it's available everywhere, that's a great play. If it's not available everywhere, we usually don't work with macro or mega influencers because it's too difficult to tell where their audience and the value of their audience is. Yeah. So then- No, I notice that a lot. I feel like a lot of times brands- Sometimes like don't even look at the smaller influencers because they're like, no, 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 we just want as many people as possible. But they don't realize um, the value in some of these micro influencers with 20,000 followers, um, you know, 10,000 followers even. They have such a niche community um, of people who maybe they only focus on vegan food and maybe that vegan food brand instead of, you know, maybe working with Charlie D'Amelio, who is amazing and has a huge reach. Um isn't vegan. Um, probably most of her followers are not. Um, you might do well with it, but you could probably get more sales at conversions if you're working with maybe a more small micro influencer who is who's vegan and just talks all about that. Exactly. Because also if she's talking about it, you know that her audience is interested in it. So that's the other play, which is we work with a higher volume of micro influencers. We also do work with nano influencers if it's an extremely regional campaign. So that's, you know, a thousand to five thousand followers will actually mm-hmm. go in and we'll reach out to people. So 
Then we get into how to find them. There's apps out there and tools that we have used in the past, um, but we also just go in through tags. So if you're an influencer or you're aspiring to be one, making sure that you have the right hashtags, making sure that... So important. Exactly. So making sure that you've got your location tag on there. Um, Your bio on your profile is actually searchable. So we can find you on, you know, search just based on the keywords that you have in your bio. So making sure that if you are a vegan and you do want to be recognized for vegan topics and vegan brands to reach out to you, make sure you have vegan in your bio. Yeah. I feel like a lot of um, people when they're starting out, like, oh, I want to be a content creator. Um, they don't think about all of these things or they, they don't want to put hash- like a, a, maybe like five or six hashtags in their um, description of their photo. And they're like, well, like these big influencers, they don't do that. It's like, well, they don't, they don't have to. When they have 5 million followers, they, don't, they aren't really looking to expand much more. But when you're starting out, it's important to kind of put, if you're a fashion blogger, you know, put hashtag OOTD, um, fashion blogger, like everything around your niche that you think will attract more people um, is important. And it's not, it's nothing to be embarrassed about or feel like, oh, well, she doesn't do it. No, no, no. It, it's only going to help you. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I think that there's a lot of, you know, it's a slippery slope and it's a very fine line for people when they're getting into the influencer world where they're like, well, I don't want to seem too thirsty. I don't want to seem too, Mm -hmm. I'm trying too hard because it's so effortless. But no, the people who make it happen have put in the work. They have, you know, put themselves on on the line. line. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. No, I know. Um, I get it. It could, it could feel weird at first. Um, I was in that position. Everybody's in that position when they're first starting because you kind of feel like whoever's following you in the beginning is just, you know, coworkers or classmates. And it's like, oh, well, maybe I don't want to be posting this much or taking these professional looking photos. Mm-hmm. But if this is really something that you enjoy and you're looking to work with brands and you'd love to be an ambassador in some instance, then, you know, you have to let go a little bit of that that fear and just be like, you know what? Who cares? Because guess what? Um, the people around you probably wish they were doing that too because it's a pretty cool job. It's a pretty cool experience. <laughs> and um, yeah, I feel like that's something I feel like I wish I could have told my younger self yeah. in like middle school is to just not care as much about, you know, posting online. And if this is something that you love, then, you know, who cares? Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting, the parallel between that and starting a business, because when you do start a business, that same fear is so prevalent in your life. And you, you know, for me, and for my experience, there was a huge overhaul of emotions that I had to push through, because I felt, you know, who am I to have my own agency? Who am I to do this? And of course, I have the experience. Of course, I've worked with the right brands. Of course, I've done, Mm -hmm. you know, all the right things. It's just I had that inner dialogue that's like, well, this is kind of embarrassing. Like, what if somebody in my circle criticizes me? Am I going to be able to work out? Like, oh, my God, then I'll be known as the person who failed. It's like, no, if but if everybody thought like that, we would have no successful content creators, we'd have no successful businesses. So you just kind of have to take the chance mm-hmm. just go with it. um that so truth. hillary you told me something we were emailing throughout this week guys and hillary uh said that 
Something that inspired her to quit her nine to five and start her own business was a Forbes article that she read in 2013 that's called 20 Things That 20-Year-Olds Don't Get. Keep in mind, this was written in 2013, which is really not that long ago when you think about it. It feels so, like forever ago. <laughs> but in the grand scheme, it's it's it feels like it's yesterday almost, but it feels like it was forever ago. Mm-hmm. But there's one quote from there that says, social media won't be a job in five years. So that was something that this Forbes article said, 20 things that 20-year-olds don't get. And how do you feel about that quote, Hillary? That quote lit the fire under my ass that got me where I am today. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I remember when I read that. I was in my last year of college. I was trying to decide what direction I wanted to go in, if I wanted to do sales, if I wanted to do traditional marketing. Um, And I read that article and I was like, this guy is such a moron. He has no idea the potential here. He has no idea just how much this field is going to blow up. I mean, you're talking about 85% of the world's population on one platform. Granted, it was lower then, but it was still ridiculously significant. And mm-hmm. I was really Oh, yeah. And I'm, at that point, Instagram was still becoming a social platform. Um, I I don't know if you remember, but before Instagram was social media and before it was bought by Facebook, it was actually just an editing app. It didn't even have a component. No. Um, yeah. So, cause it came out when I was in college. So I remember we had the weird filters on and all the things. So, I mean, I remember the weird filters and everything, but I, I didn't know that it was, you couldn't post in the very beginning. No, it was just an editing app. So yeah, it's uh, it's been an evolution, and I'm that was the day I decided I am going to double down here. I'm going to build myself up as an expert in this field, and I'm going to go for it because I loved the fact that it changes all the time. So anytime you have someone that's like high and mighty on, well, I'm a social media expert. The only thing that can make you an expert in this field is the expert at evolving. Social media evolves every day. It's evolving all the time. And if you're not adjusting how you approach social, like every three to six months, you're falling behind in the ranking, regardless of how long you've been doing it. The trends change, I feel like, every single day. Exactly. So that's been a really Even good just thing. Look on TikTok where um, one day one sound or one dance might be popular and then a day or two later, it's like, oh, that's, that was so yesterday. No, nobody does that dance anymore. It's like, what? I just learned it. I know. I know. I feel like it's TikTok, like I just spent eight hours learning that dance. I feel like TikTok dance has just evolved. <laughs> I've seen the memes about like when the clubs open back up and people bring their TikTok dance to it. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Oh. All the songs, all the songs <laughs> are going to be songs. I- I'm waiting for it. <laughs> no, but that quote, um, it- it blew my mind that you sent it to me. So I obviously had to look it up right away because I'm like, no way somebody said in five years, social media won't be a joke. I'm like, come on. I, and now sit down with these like millennials have kind of made a hobby, their full-time jobs and are making more than some of some doctors and lawyers. And it's insane. It is. And it pisses people off too. I think that's a huge oh, part yes. about it. It's like it pisses a lot of people off. Mostly people I think like generation. Yeah. 
gets them a little – they're like, well, like they don't even do anything. It's like, well, maybe you should be working smarter and not harder. Yeah, exactly. I think so too. Yeah. How do you feel about that saying? Because I know it's very half and half. Actually, in that article, 20 Things That 20-Year-Olds Don't Get, I took one more quote from there. He said that um, – 20-Year-Olds, he said, you guys should be the first ones in and the last to leave work every day. Do you believe that? Do you think that people should be working harder rather than smarter? I hate that mentality. I hate it so much. Uh, here's why. Uh, I managed people, you know, back – uh, when I was at the agency, and something that I learned throughout that process was that everyone works differently. So I would have someone who was super um, always late, like perpetually late, thirty minutes late, walking in with Starbucks. Um, oh, but I wouldn't bat an eye. I knew that they would be there at seven p.m., eight p.m., nine p.m. if they needed to be. So I think that it is all about trust and learning how to trust your team uh, as a leader so that you can empower them to get the work done. And that's another thing. I don't really believe in hourly rates as much because I think that the value of a project should be the value of the project. If somebody can get it done in half the time, you shouldn't be paying them half the amount of dollars just because they're quicker. Um, That's true. And so I think that that also goes back to your employment. It's like if, if you've got people on your team who are getting projects done, um, it's not their job to stick around and just sit there for the sake of being the last one out the door. If they have to go and they have a family emergency or if they you know, want to take an extended lunch because they've been feeling off and they just need to have a little bit of a breather, it's too stodgy of a belief system for me to it's a very dated belief system that i think millennials and gen zers are slowly going to get rid of i agree um, yeah i think it's a very old way of thinking where it's okay well you have to be in a suit and tie at work and come in exactly at 8:30 and leave exactly at 5:30 or actually come in early stay later um never see your family it's it's such an old way of thinking and a I don't think it works. And I think that there's so many better and more efficient ways to get things done. And I even think that we're seeing now, uh, coincidentally enough, during the pandemic, so many people started working remote. Yeah. We saw that a lot of people are just as productive working from home and probably working less hours, um, but getting the same thing done without having to dress up in a suit and a tie and go into an office. Mm Mm-hmm. I will say, yeah, the pandemic for sure is going to change how people operate at work and how they view, um, you know, productivity and work from home. Uh, On the flip side of that, though, I have heard a lot of people who are a lot less productive because they are either the primary caregiver for their children or they're a single parent or they have a sick parent at home that they're taking care of. So it varies from person to person, but definitely. That brings- I'm definitely just generalizing for, let's say, a 20-something-year-old who's yeah. living by themselves. Absolutely. And I think that it comes back to that idea of being more of an empathetic leader and understanding that your team is going to have a variety of needs and a variety of changes. And if you're not flexible with somebody so that they can take care of their kids from 9 to 2, but then they can be online from 3 to you know, 11 p.m. if they needed to be. Mm-hmm. That's the flexibility that you you got to get in the mind of. 
Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious, Hillary, where do you see Social HQ in five years from today? Oh, I love thinking about it. (laughs) What is your five-year plan? Tell me it all. Oh, well, the five-year plan is to take it one day at a time. Uh, (laughs) I am so excited for, honestly, 2021. We're going to have some amazing things coming out. Uh, specifically around training for people who do want to become social media managers. Mm -hmm. So that has been in the works. And that's really like part of the passion as far as going out on my own is having the flexibility to do the work that I'm doing and love the clients that I'm working with, while also bringing forward something that's going to help other people have their own businesses. So that's coming. And hopefully over the next five years, both Social HQ team is going to evolve and that team is going to evolve as well. So I'm not looking to make a mega, you know, agency. I don't want to have a huge office with, you know, ridiculous things. I just really want a solid core team who can do great work and work with clients and absolutely love it every day. Well, I have no doubt that that's going to happen. Hillary, even just from talking to you today in this past week, I mean, you have a great head on your shoulders and, you know, I feel like you really understand how this entire industry works and what you can do to kind of make it more seamless and effortless for brands and influencers and, you know, everything in between. So I have no doubt that, you know, Social HQ is going to do amazing. Nicole, you're so sweet. Thank you. Of course. Um, so I'd like to end every podcast since it is called ordering in. Um, I want to ask you, you're home. It's a Friday night. You're just going to have a chill night at home. What are you ordering in? Oh my gosh. I'm going to be so lame. I caught you off guard. I'm going to be so lame. Chipotle. (laughs) You can't go wrong with Chipotle, but what's your order? Oh, girl, I am a burrito bowl with double steak because <laughs> let's be real. There's never enough steak in there. Never, half, never. Half the rice though because, you know, we got to step that out a little you bit. You know, no carbs. Yeah. Got it. And like a side of a side of wok and some chips. That's wow. Cool. Extra $2. Social HQ really is doing well. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hillary, thank you so, so much for coming on Ordering In. It was so great talking to you. And um, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can learn more about Social HQ. Plug yourself. Nicole, thank you so much for having me. Uh, You can find Social HQ at yoursocialhq.com. And also our handles on everything is at yoursocialhq. So I look forward to following along with your podcast journey and seeing from what goes on with your next interviews. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, that's all for today. Um, Our next episode will be out next Thursday. And thanks so much for tuning in. Bye.